Well, good morning. We are in our second study today on the book of Daniel. Last week we introduced that King Nebuchadnezzar had come to take away God's people back to the land of Babylon, and that's what the story of Daniel is about. He is in exile, and he has a belief, a faith in his God, and now he's going to live in a foreign land where there are different values and different faiths, and how will he walk this road? Last week I said captive to Babylon. Today it's adaptive to Babylon. How will he adapt? Not We don't want to adopt the values, but he will have to adapt. And that's what we're going to get at today. So I've titled the message, Adaptive to Babylon. And it fits us. How do we walk in a culture where we may have values that come under fire? We're going to see how Daniel does it and learn from it today. And I thought, what better way to introduce the main point of today than talk about a guy that I remember watching when I grew up. His name was A.C. Green. A.C. Green was a Laker uh, in the era where the Lakers were really good and Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, a lot of good players during that time. I used to watch the NBA a lot in the 80s as I was growing up, had my own little Nerf hoop and had many basketball games in my bedroom. But A.C. Green was famous for a couple reasons. In the world of sports, he's known as the Iron Man. I wrote down some of these things about him. He won several championships with uh, the Lakers, but he's known as being the most durable player in NBA history. He started a game in 1986 and never missed a game all the way to 2001. That's a pretty long stretch. He was, he's nicknamed Iron Man because he holds the NBA, NBA record for the most consecutive games at 1,192. But there's another reason he was famous. In fact, I remember a reporter writing about him saying that A.C. Green is probably the only NBA player who does all his scoring on the court because he was known for being celibate. He believed, he had a conviction in here, he was a, he was a Christian and he believed that God's word taught that you should wait until marriage to be with a woman intimately. And so he did that. And he went into the NBA with the goal of holding that conviction, not to compromise. And of course, when he came in, he was, he was teased about that, right? Imagine being in the NBA locker room and, and you're the only virgin in there and all the, the, these pro athletes. In fact, he talks about it. And there's now books have been written and but in interviews and he 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 has said things like you go into the locker room and the guys are like, You're never gonna last. Oh, that's naive of you to come in and think that you cannot compromise in this area. Do you realize the women that are out there? He was told, You you just don't understand. When we travel around from city to city, they just come at you. The most beautiful women, they come at you. It's too hard to resist. And they even collected money and had a pool going for how long it would take until he broke that, right? But this was what he was known for. And the reality was that he began and ended his career as a virgin. 38-year-old virgin was what he was known for. He played 16 seasons and never compromised. He retired in 2001, and in 2002, he married and he took that into his marriage. He didn't compromise. And to me, this is a really good example for 
us, that's kind of a modern day, we're looking all the way back at Daniel, but this is what Daniel would have to face. Daniel would have to come into a palace where the values were different, so he has like this minority value, a value that, that maybe the only guy in all the NBA, and he goes in there, and the majority opinion, the majority value is you enjoy. You don't, why would you do that? And Daniel is going to have certain values in here, certain convictions, and he's going to go into Babylon, and the, the majority values, the majority opinions are going to test him, compromise. And so we get a great lesson today for, from Daniel in this area. And so the first point that I put is this, how, does, how do you do it? How did Daniel do it? And, the, and the, the number one point is prepare beforehand your boundaries. Look what verse 8 says. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Now, if you missed last week, they brought in a group of young people. They picked the, the best, the brightest, they're good looking, they're smart, and they want to amalgamate them into the Babylonian culture and make them Babylonian. We left off with the verses where they changed their names from, from identities that connected to their God to Babylonian gods, and eating food was one of the ways that they seduced them into that culture. In that time period, it was believed that if you ate food that was utilized in the sacrifice to a god, that that was a way of showing honor. It was part of the worship practice, just like you came in today and maybe you lifted your hands or you sang and you did something where you participated in worship and gave honor. That's what they would do. They, they would take an animal and put it before their Babylonian god and slaughter it and dedicate it to him. And then they would carve the meat off and cook it and eat it. That was a form of worship. Same with the, with the, with the food and the wine. And so in verse 8, it says, Daniel had resolved. And that's a key word. He resolved right in here in his heart that he was not going to do it. He resolved that he wouldn't eat the food. He wouldn't drink the wine. And so he goes to the head eunuch and he says, he asks that he, he be allowed to not defile himself. And so the first point is, we'll go back to that for a second. Prepare beforehand your boundaries. The word resolve means before he came into that moment, he had already thought about and he knew the reasons why and he had a, he had a line that he wasn't going to cross. And so I put this quote up there. If you wait and decide what your boundaries are going to be when the pressure is on, you will fail and risk compromise. And this actually comes out of when I was growing up in youth group at church. The churches have sometimes these programs, Passport to Purity. And I remember there was a big emphasis in teaching the teens to wait until you're married. And there was one line, I remember it's etched in my mind. If you wait to decide what your boundary line is until you're in the backseat of a car with a girl, you're probably going to fail. You should have already decided what the lines are. And so there's this principle about Decide beforehand, before you're in the moments where you're tested, before when the, the, the culture begins to come at you and try to make your values theirs. You should already have decided in your heart. The word resolved means in here he had already done that. And that's an important point because if I give you his background, you understand how this came about in Daniel. And so 
as an easy way to remember, head, heart, hands. How do you resolve? Start with the head. You have to know what the Bible teaches. What does God's Word say on the topics? Daniel knew. Why did he say, I'm not going to defile myself? Because he had a knowledge of what God's Word taught about food, about dietary laws. He had a knowledge of what it meant to have meat in a Babylonian sacrifice, what that, what that meant. So there, the, the first step actually is up here where he had learned these things. And what, what we know about Daniel is that he grew up in the era of King Josiah's revival. Remember last week I told you that I named my first son after King Josiah in the Bible? A lot of, most of the kings of, of Israel were bad. And Josiah was like an eight-year-old boy. His father was terrible, a terrible king. And by terrible, what I mean is they didn't follow God's word. They're supposed to represent God. But instead, they build altars to foreign gods. And they, and, and they allow immorality. And Dan, uh, um, King Josiah takes over the throne as a kid. And as he's growing up, he realizes, wow, this is... this this. Uh, palace, the, the temple is in, in disrepair. They begin to renovate it. And while they're renovating, someone comes across basically the Bible. They come across scripture, God's words that were written down. And he begins to read them. And, they, and Josiah suddenly is stunned. God, God's word says this. Why are we not doing that? And he begins a revival. He can do it because he's the king. He says, tear down the altars. And he begins to address the immoral issues that were in their culture. We're not going to do that. We're going to get rid of that. And it's an era of a revival, of a, 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 an anomaly, really, in the history of all the kings of Israel, because most of them were bad. And guess who was growing up during that time? Daniel. Daniel's family is part of that revival. And so there's this thought about how does he know? He knows God's word because he lived at a time where God's word was lifted up and made important. And even though... King Josiah's three sons was a sorry lot that didn't em embrace it, embrace the revival. The revival didn't even penetrate Josiah's own sons. And one of his sons, Jehoiakim, is on the throne, and he lived in that revival too. But Daniel, it, it got in. It got in. And so I think about what it was like to live in that time of revival where Daniel's family reinforced those things that were being taught in their home. And I want to take a sidestep, and I have a thought for you as a church. In Psalms 127, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. And it's teaching you about the sovereignty of God, the very main point of the book of Daniel, that if you are going to try to accomplish and do things outside of God, you're going to do it in the flesh, in human wisdom. And if you're building something without God, there's a vanity to it. And, and, and the writer in, in Psalms 127 says, if you're going to build a house, you better include the Lord, because if you don't, it's in vain. And then he says this in that psalm. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children 
of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with him. There's this connection to building in the Lord and family there. Daniel was a youth. He comes in a teen out of an era of a revival where his family embedded into them some of the truths of that revival. And that word resolved means in here. How are we doing as a community with our families? We live in a time where we need to, to know what's in the heart of our kids and engage them on the, the issues of today. Issues of immorality and marriage and gender and values. Because there are things being taught that are not what is in this word. So you can send your child to the best schools, to Ivy League schools. You can give them the best things in the world. But unless you've built into them God's word, if you haven't included the Lord, there is a vanity to what you're doing with your family and kids. Unless the Lord builds it, it's in vain. And we're going to see this in Daniel because God built something in Daniel. Because of what he becomes and how he uses him, it starts right here. The head, he knew what the lines were. And then, so know in the head and believe in the heart, a conviction. Make a decision to trust God's word. Daniel made a decision not to defile himself with the king's food. And just think about this. If I come over here and, and do it this way. If you're a Christian, that means you, you put your faith in what this word says about Jesus Christ, that he's the son of God, that you are a sinner in need of salvation, and you, you believe his word on that. And so you put a faith that I need that work on the cross of Christ to save me from my sin. And my eternal destination is set upon that. Now, if I come over here, can you trust his word on everything else? Can you trust his word on what it says about values and morality and marriage and the family and the very issues that are being poked at in our culture today? Can you trust his word on what it teaches about loving your neighbor even if they're different and having a grace for those who fail instead of canceling them? Do you see the connection there? The Lord is building something in Daniel he had a resolve. That resolve starts here. He knows. And a, and a conviction. He believes here. And then he acts. Head, heart, hands. He acts. Because what we see is this. Where God says no, we say no. He knew. He resolved. He says no. I can't do that. And there has to be a no. Truth cannot be relative. It can't be just based upon what you think. This person over here says, this is true. This person says, well, that's your truth, but my truth is this. We live in a culture where that's how we want to dialogue. And then we might shout at each other too. But you can have your truth and I can have mine. Well, that doesn't work. I'm finding even with Christianity, sometimes they are embracing that. Well, don't tell them that they're wrong. That's how, how you can't do that. But then over here, we, we, we want to take a stand and say, hey, I've got a young girl that goes to elementary school and I'm going to say no if that, per, if that boy says he's a girl and wants to go in the locker room. I don't like that. Well, why do you get to say no? 
Suddenly we find that everybody at least has some line somewhere. And that's the thing about what God's, God's Word teaches in this, is that He's designed. He has a design. What does He say? Do you know? Find out. Maybe you're new to the faith. You're, if you're a new Christian, you get into your Word. And sometimes you'll find that, well, I used to think of the world this way, but God's Word says this, and you begin to conform yourself to God's Word. Or maybe you're like me. You grew up in the church. I've always known the Bible. But however your pathway is, Daniel came up a certain way, but he had resolved. He resolved in his heart here to conform himself to what God's Word says. And when God says no, you should say no. No in the head, believe in the heart, and act with the hands. Don't compromise. Sometimes it takes guts. One of the stories that A.C. Green tells is, he, as he kind of went along, they were going to lose the bet. He was still being faithful to his conviction. So a bunch of the Lakers got the resources together. They paid this high-class, exotic-looking woman, had her wear hardly anything and go up to his hotel as they were traveling on the road and knock on his door in the middle of the night. And A.C. Green says, I got up and I went and I looked in the peephole and I saw this beautiful woman with hardly any clothes on. And he's being interviewed. He says, what'd you do? He says, I started praying. And then I started praying loud because the temptation was there. But see, in A.C. Green's heart, he knew what God's word said. He resolved in his heart a particular thing. I'm not going to cross that line so that when the time came, he could act. Those things prepare you to act in a way that honors God in His Word. Which means you've got to get into His Word, know what it teaches. If I'm a parent, I've got to engage my kids and know where their heart is. And you know why? I was a youth pastor. I remember when I was a youth pastor, and it seems forever ago, but even then, what the data coming out was that by the age of 14, kids have already formed what they believe about most everything, what they believe about in terms of values and lines, what they believe about God's Word, what they believe about God, which means as a parent, you, that should be on your radar. Know what's in your kid's heart. Engage them. First of all, you should know. If you don't know, how can you engage them on it? What does God's Word teach on the issues? Prepare beforehand your boundaries. You see, Daniel... He could have said, and this is where a lot of people end up, there's only four of us. They brought 70 of us in. There's only four. You know, I'm going to be the odd one out. How can I have an impact? Uh, there's some areas I can give on. It's just food. Or he could have said, this is a good platform. I'm in the palace. Think of how God could use me. I need to conform to certain things so that I can keep the platform. I don't want to lose the platform. And this is the way we rationalize sometimes. But the thing to know is, head, what does God's word say? Have the conviction in your heart before you get to that moment, so your hands, so you act. And when God says no, where he says no, we say no. Well, how's he going to do it? When the second point is, permit God to work it out. Now look what happens in verse 9. It says, and God gave. Let me just stop there. 
Who's doing the work now? It's God. Do you see that? Our, our role is to know what he says, resolve here, and stand in that moment. And then there's a way in which we can say, it's up to you now, God. I'm doing what I'm supposed to, so I give everything over to you. You got you to gotta act. And that's what Daniel did. And that's why the point says, permit God to work it out. Because you don't permit God to work it out when you take actions on your own and go outside of God's word or, or compromise. If we compromise, then we put ourselves in a position over here where God says, now I've got to deal with your compromising. I've got to deal with your sin. You're letting sin in. Don't let sin in. Don't em embrace values that don't reflect me. But when we just have the faith, faith in God's word, and we stand in that, we've, we resolve, and then we say, okay, God, it's up to you. Well, you know what? That's, that's pretty big because he can do anything. If, he's, if, if, if our faith is he's the creator of the universe, the king of the universe, he's all-powerful, all-knowing, he's everywhere present, that's the guy I want to leave everything to. Whatever hard situation I'm in, I at least want to, I at least want to be able to say, I'm going to give it to you, God. And we permit him to work it out. What does he give him? With, with, with Daniel, we see that God uses this foundation of no compromise. If he compromises, he's not permitting God to really work then. You're going to see that through the whole book. That this moment right now in chapter 1 is the foundation that God builds everything else upon. A young man, a teenager who won't compromise. God said, no, I'm going to say no. God's beginning to work. He's working it out. What does he do? It says he gives favor. Verse 9, and God gave. What did he give? He gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, and let me just stop there for a second. Because what did he give him? Well, he gave him favor. And the word there is hasad, which means a kindness or goodwill. He gave compassion to him. The word is rahamim. It means tender or love, but it's in the plural form, which denotes a deep sympathy. So this head eunuch, how does he feel about Daniel's stand? I'm going to draw a line. Everybody's doing this, but you're drawing a line? And actually the head eunuch looks at him. He has compassion for him, a deep sympathy for him, respect a kindness. He, he doesn't treat him harshly. Somehow God used Daniel in such a way in the interactions that that's what God does in the heart of, of the head eunuch. And he does something else. He doesn't say it specifically, but it's implied. He gave him help. He gave him a helper because he gave him. This guy, the head eunuch, now Daniel, in his moment of challenge when he needs help, has a helper. He has at least someone there who might advocate because they care about him. I have compassion for you. I have deep sympathy for you. God has worked that up inside of me. That's how I feel about Daniel. So he's got help. Favor. Compassion. A helper. God's working. When we, when we make the boundaries and we don't compromise and we say, God, you got to work now. We see him working. God's giving us that. One writer said, when we are in the will of God and stand firm on his word, he is our refuge and our help. Proverbs 16, 7 makes clear, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Daniel was safer as a captive in a foreign land in the will of God 
than he would have been in Jerusalem out of the Lord's will. <clears throat> Do you see that? Being in the will of God? Safer as a captive in a foreign land in the will of God than over here, I'm in my homeland, but I'm outside of the will of God. If you're outside of the will of God, you put yourself in jeopardy. You put yourself in a position where maybe the consequences of sin are what come about. Or the discipline of a father, the heavenly father. He's safer in Babylon right now in this moment than if he'd been over there. And there's this contrast going on. Daniel, not compromising, safe. Israel, compromising, under discipline. Homeland destroyed, subjugated, people in exile. Why? Because of their compromise. Do you know, now, later in the book, it, it gives you this. I'm going to tell you right now. Do you know how long they're going to be in Babylon? How long will their captivity be? And the answer is 70 years. 70 years. Like, it's like a sentence. Like, you got to do 70 years. Why? Why does God do exactly 70? And the answer to that is because of their compromise and what they did. Israel had a history of not respecting the Sabbath. Just like in a week, there's six, seven days, six days they were supposed to work. The seventh day they rested. They were supposed to respect that and give that to God. They weren't doing it. But not only that, they also had that in years. There was a, there was a, a year, they were to work, and then there was the Sabbath year, just like a Sabbath day, where they took it off and let the land rest. And then the next year, God would come back and bless them. But the year before a Sabbath year, he'd give them a double harvest. So Israel could take the extra harvest and live through the Sabbath year and rest. But they didn't do it. You know what they did? They were greedy. They took the double harvest. And then when they went into the Sabbath year, they planted anyways and worked anyways and didn't respect what God said and took all the extra from this year and used it just to live it up. You know how many times they did it? Seventy times they ignored the Sabbath year. And for every one they took away from God, he put them in captivity. They're under discipline because of their compromise. Not only that, this is how God works. Sometimes God gives us the very thing that we are striving for that's bad. They also compromised as a nation with idols, full of idolatry. And now God's going to send them into a land that is wicked with idolatry. And it does something to them. John F. Walverd says, uh, because of their sin, the people of Israel who had given themselves to idolatry were carried off captive to Babylon. And Babylon was a center of idolatry and one of the most wicked cities in the ancient world. And it is significant that after the Babylonian captivity, idolatry never again became a major temptation to Israel. Now that is a fascinating point because up until the captivity, they struggled with idolatry. The whole history as a nation. The book of Judges is rife with stories about that. But God gives them an overdose of wicked idolatry so that when they get out of captivity, it's like it cured them. We're not going to struggle as a nation anymore with that. It was so bad. It's like, a, it's like the prodigal principle, the prodigal son who says, I want my inheritance. I'm going to go live it up. And it, it, he ends up in the mud. The lifestyle he longed for, God gave it to him, and he ends up in the mud with pigs and says, this, that life was better. But what you're seeing is two paths, aren't you? This over here is compromise. This over here with Daniel is uncompromised. Doesn't, doesn't compromise. So... 
decide beforehand your boundaries. Step aside, let God work. And thirdly, practice civility when tested. And I chose the word civility on purpose because we live in an era today where there's a lot of uncivility, dialogue and discussions that are rude and arrogant. And, and there's a way in which Christians can get sucked into to engaging in that same manner. But I want to show you what happens with Daniel. I want you to look how he engages this eunuch. In verse 10, And the chief of the eunuch said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king? And the first point underneath this is I put, listen and understand others. Yeah, he's a foreigner. He doesn't have the same values as you. But respect and listen. In fact, in the chain of command, he's over you. So respect. The two times Daniel engages him, it uses the word said. He's just speaking with him. And do you know what he, 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 he gets from the conversation? Understand the guy that's over you. Number one, he's afraid. He says, I am afraid. Um, I fear the king. Those are the exact words. And he should. Nebuchadnezzar was fearsome and ruthless. Perhaps in their mind is, is the, the, the story of what happened to, to one of the sons of King Josiah. He tried to escape Nebuchadnezzar. Zedekiah was his name. And the Babylonians caught him. And they brought him out and put him here. And then they lined up his entire family, wives, kids, Every, the people who worked in his home, everyone underneath in this big line of people, and then they went along and made him watch one by one as they slayed them. His own family. Imagine watching someone slay your kids, and when they get to you, you're thinking, well, at least I'm going to die, and they don't. I, I, I'm glad this is over, but instead, they just take a hot sword and gouge his eyes out so that the last memory he ever had with his eyes was what he saw right there. And the head eunuch is saying, I'm afraid of that. And he's saying, okay, you don't want to be defiled, but understand my situation. I'm afraid because the orders have come down from on top that you got to do this. And he says, and, and by the way, not only am I afraid, but what you're proposing, I could die for. Because after, after he explains to him the situation, he uses the words, you would endanger my head. They're going to evaluate all of you. What happens if I let you have your way and you stand before the king and you look worse than all the rest of them? I'm in trouble. So Daniel listens. He engages with him and he tries to understand where he's coming from, right? And then he engages him with respectful dialogue. Okay? Verse 9 and verse 11, it says that he asked so he's engaging with him. And what does he ask? He says, Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now the thing I want you to point out is what he's done here is the way he's engaged. Because if we have minority values that go into a culture where, the, where there's a majority opinion about these values and you're, you're off-center... You have to be able to engage in a culture like that. And Christians oftentimes can be arrogant. 
We can stand there on like a high platform because we know we're right. We have the God of the universe who's given his word. And the superiority approach is not what Daniel's using. He is listening. He's engaging. There's not shouting or yelling. There's not a pridefulness in it. And then what he does, because he's taken the route, he's discerning. And he's using wisdom so that he can find a middle ground. He offers a solution. Let God work. Let let him work and let God uh, bring your own thoughts to a conclusion that you might set on the table and say, okay, well, I can't can't give him an option that he dies, right? That's not going to work. And so he says to him in verse 13, then let your appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Now, what Daniel does is he says, I can't participate in the the wine and and the meat. That's bad. I don't want to violate my upbringing, my conscience. So he puts on the table a, 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 another option. And he says, take that away. Give us vegetables. The word there actually has a broader range. Sometimes people are like, vegetarians. But it's a little bit broader than just vegetables. It can include grains and breads. But the point is that he had another option. And he said, and then just you observe. Before it gets to the king where he's going to observe and you would die, give us a little time period. Right? Ten days, we'll eat our diet, and then you you evaluate, and then you deal with us accordingly. And there's a way in which Daniel again says, okay, I'm going to let you work, God. I'm going to let you work. I've tried to discern. I've listened. I've been respectful. I put something on the table. If he takes it, then you got to work. And that's what happens. The eunuch says it seems good to him. And so they go with the Daniel plan. And at the end of the time period, they observe him. And it says they were better. They were better looking. It uses the word fatter. And I think I mean, you can get into all that, like the color of their flesh or whatever. But the, the, again, the main point is that it worked. He found this middle ground. And I think as Christians, as culture shifts and changes, and we find ourselves oftentimes a minority, that this is an approach that we have to take, how to engage. When God says no, we say no. But then sometimes we've got to let God work. But then we can't do nothing. We need to have wisdom and sometimes offer solutions that help navigate And we see this in the Bible. Queen Esther did the same thing. Esther lived in the same, in Babylon. And there was an unholy law on the books that was going to allow the genocide of the Jews. She went into the king's court, did her work in the king's court. God gave her favor in the king's eyes. But they couldn't change the law. What do they want? They want to change the law. They can't do that. Got to be discerning and come up with something else. And they do. They come up with something else. They put a different law on the books that allows them to, to, to save the Jews. And I find myself, even in this culture, I sit with some of the politicians of the island, the different leaders and pastors, and we talk about different issues. And there's, in the works, things being written now. And some of them have come and asked my opinion. And they said, but we have a conviction about this. And I remember we were talking about it. I said, but can you get that? If you can't get that, then what's the middle ground? Yes, I believe that too. I believe God says no. I would say no. But in the court, what can, what can you get? 
And if this is what you can get, maybe that's what you go for. And, there, and there's a way in which as Christians, we have to be able to engage a culture where we are not the majority. But we try to move in ways that will honor God, keep our convictions, and bring about change. Daniel was smart. You know why? Because he knew what they wanted. What did they want? They wanted good-looking, good-looking people. That's what they, that's what they took back. Good-looking, smart, nobility, or royalty. Those were the people he took. So that was the class that Daniel came out of because they were going to be in the palace. They had to know how to handle themselves around high-class and royal people. He knows what they want. So he's going to leave it to God. Here's my plan. And then God followed through, didn't he? And they became uh, better than the rest. And here's what happens with this. Practice civility when we are tested. And lastly, I put here pioneer a legacy of integrity. I said pioneer because pioneers, you know, you think about the West, they, they get in the wagons, they're heading out to foreign land. They have to adapt along the way. They think it's going to be like this, but it's not. And Daniel's taken and he's brought into this new culture and the ultimate goal, I use the words their legacies that describes his whole life and integrity. And this is what Daniel becomes. And it all starts in this moment, this moment where he's only a teenager, but he, he is a teen. He's laying this foundation that God can use because the Lord's building the house, not, not him. He's only living out God's word. And here's what we get. Verse 17, and as for these four youths, God gave. I emphasize that again because God's working. They, they acted in a way that they could step aside and say, God, work. And what does God do to all four of them? God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. So <clears throat> personal increase. He allows them to grow and develop in a way in these areas of their life. Up here, sharp. Remember, it was like three years of school. It's like going to a, get a college degree. They're learning languages. They're learning culture. They're learning math. They're learning a lot of stuff. And they excel in all the things that, that they're studying. Daniel in particular. It says, Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. This is something that will come back later in the story. And at the end of the time... When the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And that's why I said in here, personal increase, but now we're going to see positional increase as well. Because what happens when they come before Nebuchadnezzar? It says, and the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. So just think about that. This started with teenagers knowing what God's word says, resolving in their heart to have a line, to hold the line, but to engage in, with civility the culture that they're in and let God work. And then as a head eunuch, let them keep their diet. They went to school, and in this, this incubating period, they grow upwards, and there's no comparison. I mean, it's not close. Ten times better in all these areas? They're blowing it out of the water. 
And God's really going to use it. One writer I was reading said that Daniel is perhaps the most educated person in all of the Old Testament. Comparable maybe only to Moses, who grew up in Egypt and had an education there, or Solomon, who was the wisest man. But that's a pretty, pretty high tier that he reaches. And all of this training that he's getting, the culture, the language, dreams and visions, it's preparing him for how God is going to use him. He's just a teenager. He's getting towards the end of his teens as he's standing before Nebuchadnezzar and his life's just starting. But he is prepared in more than one way. He's prepared educationally, right, with all the training, but he's prepared here. He has the integrity that it takes to do what God's going to call him to do. And it's already been tested. He gave him personal increase, positional increase. He also gave him a platform increase. And I said this because I'm tying this back to, remember when, when he was standing there and he could have said, I have a platform a lot of times I, I hear artists who say, I like the platform that God's given me. You know, he's blessed me and now I'm an artist that's recognized. People are watching my stuff, listening to my stuff. Thank you for the platform you've given me. And I go, wow. And I look up the, some of their art and I'm like, ah, oh, this art, I don't think God would like this art. Daniel, th this is not a mid-level platform anymore. He didn't compromise at a lower platform. He, he said no where God said no. And you know what? God put him on, he's going to put him on the highest platform he could be on. He, he gives him a platform increase because of his integrity and willingness to just let God work. Because it says here at the end, in verse 21, and Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Who's King Cyrus? We're, we're, he's living under Nebuchadnezzar. And you know what that verse is doing? It's trajectory. It's showing you. Look at everything that he went through and God put him up here, Nebuchadnezzar to Cyrus. He's going to live through the flip-flopping changes of kingdoms and kings. And he's saying he's there. He is God's man in the house. He's the most stable person in all of those changes that can, can be an example to the people of God who were in Babylon in exile through all the changes. Like, well, Daniel's still in there. We still got a person in there. From teenager to senior citizen, Ezekiel, one of God's prophets, lived in part of the time during this, but he goes back, but Daniel is consistent. And the thing I want to emphasize is the consistency just wasn't presence in the palace or the work that he did. The consistency was all built upon integrity, consistent in his integrity, consistent in not compromising here, like A.C. Green. 16 NBA seasons. And he didn't compromise. And he married the woman God gave him. He speaks now. He's written books. They made a film about him. I think it's on Netflix where like Will Ferrell is interviewing him and he's talking about all these things. He kept the integrity and God built up his platforms more and more with Daniel. We're going to see that. And I think that the challenge for us today is to look at this pattern. 
You need to decide beforehand what your lines are. Engage culture with respect and civility. Let God work. Then see what God does. But be consistent. What if A.C. Green only went five seasons? And then he broke it. He compromised. It'd be a different, whole, totally different story. Same with Daniel. But the integrity's there. And I would encourage, particularly younger people who have a long, longer to live than us older people, that integrity over lifetime matters. And when God calls you to living with wisdom and integrity, do you know what the Bible says God does in your life? I just, I'm going to finish with this list. This comes only out of the book of Proverbs. And it mentions about decision-making. Proverbs is a great book to read on this and decision-making and using wisdom. And if you live with wisdom and hold here lines with integrity, this is what will happen to you. This is what the Bible says, the type of person you become. Three times in the book of Proverbs, it says you will make good decisions. Four times it says you'll live a long life. Five times it says you will be attractive to others. You know, I didn't tell you this, but Daniel, three times in the book of Daniel, do you know what it says about him? He was a man that was greatly loved by everyone. Now, he's going to have enemies, but the reputation he has is he was loved by the way he engaged, but he was a man of principle, like A.C. Green. He had different values, but they respected him. They loved him. If you choose to walk like that here, this is what the Bible says you become. You're attractive to others. It says six times it says you will prosper. Seven times it, will be, it says you will be a persuasive person. You will be someone who can impact others if you have integrity here and you don't compromise. Be prepared for the future eight times. Obviously, if you've already decided beforehand what your lines are, you're more prepared than others when the challenges come. Eight times it says that. Nine times in Proverbs, it says that you will be sought after by those of power and influence. Interesting. People take shortcuts to get that. The Bible says if you have integrity and hold the line, nine times in Proverbs, people will seek after you. Ten times it says, ultimately you will rise to a position of power. Eleven times it says you will be kept safe from harm. Twelve times Proverbs says that you will be a good counselor for others. The numbers keep going up. How many times it says in the book that this is who you will become if you walk with integrity and use wisdom. And that's true of Daniel. The last thing I'll tell you about him, Daniel's only one of three guys in the Bible, major characters, who the Bible doesn't say anything negative about. A lot of the great people in the Bible, Moses murdered someone, David had an affair, killed someone. Daniel's only one of three guys who their whole life, as it's described in the Bible, is uncompromising with integrity. And all of those guys were guys that, what I, that list I just gave you, they rose to power. They were people of influence. People sought their wisdom. They had long lives. And that should be an encouragement to you that God sees it and he walks with you. May we be a community of people who can approach it like Daniel. Thank you, Father, for this book, for your word that you gave us, that you speak to us. And Lord, 
I pray that you would raise up Daniels and AC Greens within our church, people who, first of all, know in their head what your word says. We've got to engage your word and learn. And we put it into our heart, and we, we resolve in our heart to not compromise on what your word says. And then we take that to the hands where we act, head, heart, hands, an uncompromising life. We pioneer a legacy of integrity that has impact. Thank you for the life of Daniel. It's encouraging. It gives us an answer for how to walk in today's world where faith and integrity often come under fire. I pray that you would raise up Daniels in our church. We lift this up in Christ's name. Amen. Finishing worship.